We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What do you think about the Laker team now? You follow the box scores of the games every day? Just the Lakers. You're kidding. That is really a compliment. I was pleased to see you smile at the top of our show because once the game starts, you have a game face. You don't smile much out there. I don't think you have to do things for money anymore. Correct. What's up, Laker fans? Welcome to the Laker Film Room Podcast, brought to you by the Blue Wire Podcast Network. I'm Pete, joined by Darius and Mike. And Lakers lost in a gut punch today, falling to 0-3. Started out the game okay, then, uh, but could not hit a shot. They have continued their historically poor three-point shooting. Coming into the game in the Spectrum pregame show, they had a stat that Lakers were shooting 22% from three-point range. And that was the lowest in NBA history through two games, you know, minimum of, of 60 attempts. And their percentage went down after the third game. But Lakers showed a great deal of resilience. They turned the Blazers over 19 times. Anthony Davis was a monster on the defensive end. Uh, I thought the team just in general defended very well. And they were poised to get their first win of the season, Mike. But it all fell apart down the last, the final stretch of the game. And we're all, this is one, uh, you know, different losses hit differently. This is one we're recording a few hours after the, the end of the game. And this is one of those ones that have been sitting with me all day. And so I'd love to hear your perspective and what the guys had to say after the game. Yeah, it was a frustrating game in a different way than the first two games were frustrating because the Lakers once again struggled to hit a shot. I think it was one for 15 from three in the first half. And that was clearly the reason that they were behind. But they again played well enough defensively to stay in the game. And then they were finally able to turn the tide. And so they go into the fourth quarter with a decent lead. And they continue to play pretty well in the fourth quarter. AD was magnificent. It, it certain stretches the game. Uh, LeBron was out there just making winning plays, making the right passes, scoring at the rim when needed. And in fact, had this ridiculous left-handed finish through traffic and one to put the Lakers up 98 to 80. At that point, there's 426 left in the game, and Darvin Ham opted to go back to Russell Westbrook. And it, it had been Troy Brown who had been in there, who was having, I thought, even though he missed a couple shots early, was just kind of doing role player things well, competing, battling, using his length, taking the shots when they were there. Toscano Anderson, same thing. You know, they uh, they had the guys on the wing that were at least approximating what a two-way wing can do. And in just sort of not getting in the way of LeBron and AD, supporting them, essentially. And Russ comes back in. Portland says, great. They, they put Nurkic on him. The defense completely shifts, sinks into the paint. 
And all of a sudden the Lakers can't even find a shot uh, on, on offense because it's, by the way, the Clippers did the same thing. They put Zubats on him and that changed things a lot. And that was it. That was the ball game. All of a sudden Portland chipped away, chipped away. Of course you give them some credit. Dame hit some ridiculous shots. Grant made a tough play, but that was where the game clearly changed. And after the game, Darvin Ham got asked about it a couple times. LeBron got asked about it. And that that was sort of the takeaway from the postgame. Everybody sort of centered on that moment. And and not just that moment, but just how that enabled Portland to play. And the fact that it it ultimately led to a loss uh, in a, a tough circumstance for the Lakers, who are now 0-3 Darius and going to Denver and to Minnesota in the next two. So we can dig in wherever you want, but that was kind of what the – that was what the vibe was afterwards in there, just sort of trying to figure out what led to to that happening the way that it did. And then, you know, how ultimately Portland was able to win the game. Yeah. So I haven't been able yet to see all of the post game, like the full comments, right, which is what I normally like to do um, in order to get the full context of some of the quotes. But I did see a couple of clips from some of the guys and LeBron was testy and he was not happy. And um, in the clip that I saw and AD was testy and he was not happy in the clip that I saw, please Mike, cause you were there. And so was that the yeah. vibe in the room too? Well, just so since you bring it up, I, I was there for LeBron obviously. And I asked him first, right. About that last stretch. Just so once they make the change and Russ goes in and Nurkic is defending him, just how, how he thought that they were going to be, how that impacted the execution and how that impacted the spacing and such. And I thought he gave a, a perfectly reasonable answer to that. And it made sense. And he essentially said, yeah, they, it was difficult. And then uh, Jovan Buha followed up with a question kind of similar about Russ. And then McMenamin followed up with something about Russ. And LeBron almost just cut it off and said, look, guys, like I'm in, in a little bit of the way that he handled the shooting situation from last game. Like, I know you're asking questions about Russ. I'm not going to say something demeaning about one of my teammates. And so, like, let's move on. And I and I get that. And I, I don't know what else he was supposed to say there um, other than acknowledging, yes, like that was it was difficult there. But it's not just that. It's all these other things as well. So it in the room, it didn't feel like a, you know, it didn't feel probably as as it might have just seeing that clip because yeah, okay, he good. just w- you know what I'm saying? So he was trying to. There was a run up. Like there, not, there was a run up to it. I got yeah, you. He was trying to be a in, a in a sense like a leader, and he, you know, what's what's he going to say? Like, and that's what he was saying back to us. Like, what do you guys want yeah. me to say here? Like, you sure. saw what happened. I saw what happened, and I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to just give you the quote that you want. And, and I got that. I didn't think he was being too testy. Yeah. If anything, he's saying, "I know what you want me to say, and I'm not going to say." It. Two things happened to me. Mike, I think that you highlighted the Russ stuff well. I was wondering if Darwin was going to go back to Russ just because the general tenor and tone of the game and the flow of things. And I think we should circle back to Troy Brown Jr. But I thought Brown played well. And I thought he, like you said, Mike, approximated basically what you would want from a player who is on the wing. There were a couple of times he looked a little small, but it was fine in terms of or not as physical, not small, but not as physical. Two things happened. The two for one shot that Russ took near the end of the game. I thought that was a real that was the that was the one where Braun basically cut off the questions because he was asked specifically about that shot. And that was not a good shot from Russell Westbrook. 
and the explanation of he was going for a two for one. Well, you don't need to go for a two for one when you have the lead, basically. And so I thought the game management stuff was off, not only from Russ's perspective, but in them, but from a team perspective in how they were organizing their offense based off of what the Blazers were doing defensively by putting their center on Russ. So I thought all of that combined from a game management perspective, I thought that was not a good showing from the Lakers. The other thing, Pete, that I thought that really hurt the team was AD getting his fifth foul because I think he got his fifth foul, Mike. It was maybe under two two minutes, but I can't remember. It might have been more than, than two minutes, but it was in between that two and a half minute and one minute and 45 second mark, some, somewhere around, around there. But there were multiple possessions down the stretch, so it might have been more than, than two minutes where AD basically did not contest shots around the rim mm-hmm. in fear that he was going to get his fifth foul. And Pete, he was dominant defensively yeah. in the paint throughout the entire game. And so I thought that was also that went hand in hand with the lack of offensive execution from playing a more half court game and the Lakers not being able to get out in transition because they were giving up baskets. Those two things were they just snowballed on top of each other and they never got it back. And so whatever mojo they had, it went away. And that's that's one of the reasons why it was such a gut punch to me. It was both of those things, I think. Prior to Russ being subbed back in, the Lakers had gotten a lot of production out of the LeBron AD pick and roll. Uh, Portland's kind of main... Their fatal flaw, particularly in their front court, is that Nurkic is like their one big guy that can that can physically approximate AD, right? Now, I'm not saying he's the athlete that he is, but he's a big dude. And they don't have anybody else like AD dominated the stretches of the game where Nurkic wasn't in. But if you can get Nurkic into ball screens, that's just over and over again. One of the uh, nice plays right before that that sub was, it was a short roll to AD at the free throw line. They stepped up to him, dunker spot to Troy Brown for a nice little layup. And they just ran that LeBron AD pick and roll over and over again with Nurkic having to be the guy that guarded that. Well, being able to move Nurkic off of that and onto, and I say onto with quote fingers, Russ takes that away, right? Now all of a sudden you have Jeremy Grant guarding AD and on the screen set, right? They just switch that and you're going one on one into a paint that's completely packed. And there has to be a baseline level of like, Russ's percentage is, you know, he's below 30% from the field through three games. He's shooting 8%, one one for 12 from three-point range. And I think oftentimes we will look directly at the percentages, Mike, but it's something completely different to do that when you're not being guarded versus other circumstances, guys are flying at you, right? Like you, you aren't shooting well, but it breaks down just the basic spacing of the offense. That group, the starting group, uh, which is the game, the group that closed the game as well, of Russ, Lonnie, Pat Bev, LeBron, and AD, through 33 minutes, has an offensive rating of 75. Now, small sample, but all of that, right? But there are plenty of lineups where 
the Lakers have had 30 around these minutes. I've never seen a LeBron AD lineup play this many minutes and be anywhere close to that. The last team that had an offensive rating overall below 100 was the 2015, 16, 76ers with a rookie Jaleel Okafor and they're intentionally tanking basically. Right. So I guess I'm trying to contextualize how historically bad our offense has been. And we've gotten some good looks, right? We had, we were like middle of the pack in assists. We had 26 assists in this game. Somehow, you like when we're not even making shots. So there, there's parts there to like, Mike, but between the breakdown and spacing that's happening and then just simple bad shot making, I mean, just a historically bad start for our offense. Yep. And the biggest reason for that is just the tons and tons of missed open shots. But it, it, we all know why. You just talked about the pack, the packed paint and how it kind of builds upon itself and then momentum happens. But in the second half, despite all of that, they made, I think, five threes in the third quarter mm-hmm. and just started playing normal basketball. And we got into some rotations where Troy Brown came in off the bench mm-hmm. um, in, in like in, you know, Toscano Anderson, I already mentioned Austin Reeves, the team was bigger and that I thought helped a lot defensively and they looked mostly fine. And then they just went back to something that has not only not worked this season or this preseason, but the entirety of last season. And all of, it's all been there. This isn't anything new. There, the Russ LeBron AD combo didn't work with big or small lineups last year. And so I, I just don't I don't see going back to that. And I don't know how long it's going to last. But that that was part of what led to a loss tonight against a team in Portland who I, I know is three and oh, but is not that good. You know, this, this it's just not that good of a team. And those are the types of those are the types of games when you have to go to Denver and to Minnesota and then come back and play Denver where that starts to mount and then the pressure mounts and then the shooting pressure mounts. And and it's uh, it's difficult. And so I I, I want to just point out one thing on the flip side of, of what happens early in the season, like last year when you had OKC and Houston kind of playing well the early weeks. Now, like you see Utah, right, who's not supposed to be any good and. They don't, the players on the court don't care about that. Lowry Markinen's balling out. Jordan Clarkson's balling out. Eventually, Ainge will get to the point where he'll manipulate the lineups a certain way and Utah will go in a different direction. But like, this is, this is the time where if you, if you're losing to teams while you're figuring stuff out, it's good. It better be to the Clippers and the Warriors and those types, because every time like this type of a loss to a Portland team that you should have won against, those are the ones that really start to add up. Uh, And, and we saw how that, that can have a cascading effect last season. And Darius, that's I think that's part of the worry, whether it's some players expressing that or some people around the team at the arena is, you know, now, despite really battling and competing hard and having LeBron and AD play together and play together well, as Pete sent us a stat, I'll let him give if he wants before the game. And you have three losses to show for it. And and that's uh, even if it's against a couple of good teams, they were they definitely had the, the opportunity to beat both the Clippers and the Blazers. And it's uh, that's that's a tough that's why you saw Anthony Davis be so terse after the game and why you saw LeBron be so frustrated because because they know it's hard to win a playoff series when you have to win more than four games. Mm -hmm. Right. The shooting yourself in the foot. Yeah. This game against the Blazers was the regular season version of that. Right. Where it's hard to make progress in the standings. And I know it's very early in the season or it's hard to build momentum within the season. It's hard to set goals on top of each other or build habits or all of this other stuff when you are not rewarded for those things. Mm -hmm. And there's been look over the last, I don't know, um, 15 years or so, we've seen 
more bad Lakers teams than we had seen in the previous 20 years before that. Right. And like by a multitude exponentially more. Right. And one of the things that I always found myself thinking when I was watching actually bad Lakers teams was, man, when they play well, you just want them to win because like those, you know how hard the guys are working in order to try to win. No one wants to go out there and lose. And this team, the way that they're defending, the way that they're competing on that end of the floor, and it's not perfect. They're getting butchered on the glass, right? Um, They're having small guys are trying to box out bigger guys and bigger guys are flying in from the sidelines and and tipping balls out. And it's just like, and then the Lakers are having to reset and get after it again defensively. They are, they are like getting deflections and then like trying to save the ball and then they throw it back to the other team and suddenly like that counts as possession of the ball. And so you give the team a whole new 24 second shot clock, not just like the six seconds that were left after the deflection. And guess what? They get right back in their defensive stance and they work their scheme and they do their best. And they are trying out there on that side of the ball. And it's dispiriting as a fan to watch them then struggle the way that they've struggled offensively. And the lid that's on the basket is one thing, but when you're seeing guys miss shots inside, when you're seeing guys take ill-advised shots, AD mentioned this after the game. It's just like, you you know, like shot selection is something that they need to work on. I don't think that's necessarily a dig at, at Russ necessarily, but it is a dig. I think overall, the idea of like, man, we we're taking a lot of threes. We're taking pull-up shots that we shouldn't be taking, particularly in transition. There are shots that we're taking in, in early transition that are long jumpers. I'm not a fan of those. Lonnie took a few those but there are several players that i think need to find their way here and a key one is russell westbrook another one is kendrick nunn and there's a lot of stuff going on with this team right now and the vibes are not where they need to be and the struggles are playing out on the court in a certain way and that's another reason why this loss feels so bad I think is that you just want them to get back on the right track. They've been doing some really good things and for it to not happen for them is just rough. I think. Let's talk a little more in the second segment about some of the good work the team did in this game, the return of Troy Brown and a, an emerging kind of new rotation. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. 
Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. So this is a team that's kind of caught between two places. And I think that the first place is one in which Russ is a big part of the rotation. He's starting. Um, I think we'll get probably more into this later, but um, Darvin over the summer had gone throughout saying, Hey, I need you to play defense. This is something that I need from you. And, and uh, we'll be, we'll be able to move forward if you do. And to Russ's credit, he has done that. Right. But the offensive problems that I think that he brings to the table at this point, and I really want to emphasize that I'm not coming from a place of animosity with this. There were two plays that I want to uh, point out that I think kind of exemplify this and transfer and and I want to uh, bring that forward toward Troy Brown and kind of some of the other guys that may be emerging. One was a play that I sent you guys against the Clippers where Russ was aware on defense. He he reached in, got a steal, poked from behind, and he had a step on both PG and Kawhi, right? And this was a play where in for most, the vast majority of Russ's career, that was a foot race, right? It's not a matter of the defense's scheme toward him. They don't have a guy sagging off of him. He just got a steal. It's open court and off to the races. And he couldn't beat PG. He couldn't get that angle and ended up shooting a difficult Euro step going left. AD got to put back for a layup. But it was very striking to me that just that speed, like it's Russ versus Paul George and Kawhi. He should be able to win that in a foot race. And then there was a play in today's game of, uh, where Drew Eubanks blocked his shot when Russ Russ got him out into space and Russ tried to hit the afterburners and get all the way to the basket and Eubanks blocked that. Justice Winslow got a block on him in transition as well. And so Russ's game is so predicated on speed and on like offensive game of like being able to get around or over a guy that this I would argue has catastrophic results to his game. And so where he fits in the rotation going forward, I, I I genuinely don't think he belongs in it just as a basketball argument. Like, and I was making these arguments last year, guys, right? The, um, the, the, Hey, he, you open up the floor, you create space, you create driving lanes, right? And this is something you want to facilitate. Yeah. You were advocating for, the exact style that the Lakers are playing yes, right exactly. now in order to optimize Russell Westbrook. And you were of the belief that if they did those things, Russ would play better yes. than what he was showing. And, and that part of the limitations that we were seeing from Russ, part of the struggles and the challenges that he was experiencing were not just a product of his own Correct. ability, but they were the product of his environment. And, and what you're saying now just yes. to clarify, is that the environment is way more geared towards making Russell Westbrook successful. And he is not performing to the level in which you thought would be possible based off of what his previous level of play had been before he had come to the Lakers. So I, I want to put it in in less like overall general, like the day where the Drew Eubanks is of the league where he's not able to turn the corner against them. You see what I'm saying? The day where he can't beat Kawhi and Paul George in a foot race, right? That That's what Russ does. And I'm not a guy who's hated Russ's game throughout his career or anything like that. He's And so that's not where I'm coming from. What I'm saying is that if he can't do that, there's not a lot to fall back on. But I do think how he's defended 
gives a bit of a template for what this team needs. And seeing Troy Brown enter the equation, equation, seeing JTA, his minutes and whatnot, I'd love to hear your thoughts, D, on kind of the going from one archetype to the other, going from the the ball-dominant guy, or Mike, going from the ball-dominant guy, the guy that's going to get to the basket, that that's what he's there to do, to the guy that is that connector type of player. Because Troy Brown, watching his minutes today, he... It felt good to watch his minutes, if this makes sense, just from a sense of like he knows what he's doing. This is like sensible basketball. Right. And I'm not saying that as a comparison to Russ, but just like he's a smart player who understands his job and what he's supposed to do. And it's really just two very polar opposite types of players. Yeah, Mike, there was a point during the game where Troy Brown and um, Austin Reeves and JTA were all on the floor together. And I think they were on the floor with I I can't remember who else was on the floor with them. Pat Bev maybe and it was either LeBron or AD, right? But the general feel and flow of those minutes was like, oh, here's a group that just sort of knows what they're doing and they were playing off of each other on both sides of on both sides of the ball in ways that are producing the right the right things look the way that they're supposed to look right and it's and that doesn't always mean it's going to be successful but there are like it's the total opposite of what it looked like at the end of the game for example where no one could sort of figure out where they should stand even or what actions to run because of the way that Nurkic was defending Russ. So to kind of summarize a basically season-long chat that we had that we had last year when I felt like I was constantly bringing up the 1920 Lakers and what we know works really well alongside LeBron and AD versus what we were seeing on the court, which was trying to figure out some way to play differently and to have Russell Westbrook integrated and small lineups and fast and shooting and LeBron at the five, all of the stuff. Well, what worked in this game was I think the stretch you're talking about Darius. So it's 74 all late in the third quarter. And at this point, none came in for Westbrook Reeves had already replaced Beverly. AD was with that group first and it's JTA. um, It's Troy Brown jr. Right. And so AD played with that group for a couple of minutes and that was that was when Reeves hit that big go ahead shot. So first of all, AD had the alley oop. Then he had the SWAT. I think his fifth. Then he he brings the ball up the court, dishes to Austin. Momentum three, boom, first momentum shot. Then LeBron checks in, pull up three, boom, right. Uh, LeBron hits another three. Troy Brown's defending his butt off. Like it's it's LeBron, AD, three guys just playing a role, playing defense, taking threes, getting out of the way not trying to take usage, not trying to do other stuff. It's it, that that's the message. That's the the formula that has clearly worked well. And they go up 83 to 78. And, uh, and I think Simon said a step back or something in the final minute. And so they go into the fourth quarter. And so this, like that was the formula that then they kept to some extent early in the fourth quarter. Those guys continue to play well. Lonnie Walker came in, Patrick Beverly came in for none and for Reeves, but they were able to continue that because they just same thing. And I thought Beverly played much better today overall. Like he just kind of played hard defense. He did some role player things. He was plus 12 for a lot of the game. Um, I, I, what did he end up? 
think he was he was on the court for part of that. So he ends up he ends up a plus seven because he was on the court for, for for part of crunch time. But that was it's like this is where I feel like I'm it's the crazy pill type stuff where we know what works. Why keep going away from it? And, you know, and that's that, not like that summarizes the whole thing. But that was the part that I that I noticed and, and took note of for what are the things that you see that worked with this moving forward? OK, great. And you know, how about game four that you see some of that some more? I think it was after practice on um, Saturday, but Troy Brown talked to the media and um, a little clip got put up on YouTube about where he thought that he could help the team. And he gave some, I thought, a very insightful answer in like 45 seconds mm-hmm. or like a minute long clip, right? Where he talked about what he thought he could do defensively in terms of being at the nail and showing help and using his length um, and what he could do offensively just in terms of um, handling the ball, some keeping the ball moving, attacking where he thought that he could attack, shooting the ball, some, and I was just like, Hey, Troy Brown, you know what? That's a thoughtful and insightful answer based off a guy who's been watching a lot of Lakers basketball over the last month preseason and into the season as well now and understands his own game and sees where he could help. And I thought those answers were the exact springboard he used into what he showed in today's game. Talk to me a little bit about what you saw from Brown, how you think he fits and in not necessarily even in contrast to Russ the way that you framed it before, but just in the context of, hey, the Lakers need another guy like this. And this first game was a nice showing from someone who hadn't played in a while. And I'm looking forward to more Troy Brown. So I think Brown is ideally a small ball three. And that's one of the interesting things about how this year is developing is that we are going small. Guys, Anthony Davis has played 100% of his minutes at center this season so far. LeBron has played a ton of minutes at the five. We've got all the guards. We talked about that for ages. We've played fairly small most of the time. and But it's much more the small ball done right, right? We're fronting the post. We're nasty on the perimeter. We're forcing steals and turnovers. It's And we're fourth in defensive rating. Like, that's the thing. We're a top five defense through three games after playing Golden State, the Clippers, and Portland. All three really good offensive teams. If we weren't just historically bad on offense through these first three games, we'd be in a different spot. And a guy like Brown, one of the one of the attributes in small ball that's really important that we don't have enough of is length and wingspan. He's got a six foot eleven wingspan, and because one of the things, Mike, that you got to be able to do when you're being small and flying around and swarming is get deflections, jump passing lanes, tip a ball out that maybe you can't get that rebound against Yusuf Nurkic, but maybe you could tap it away from him so he doesn't get an easy putback, right? And it's just those types of things that you can do with a near seven foot wingspan that, while not absorbing a lot of usage and all of that, but just defensive that's the first place I really go to is is the the length and wingspan Pete and, and JTA to me fits that too where sometimes I'll be looking up for my seat and he'll just have kind of got his yep. hand on a ball and deflected it just because he's paying yep. attention and he's engaged and he's got his hand and he's just doing the fundamental things mm-hmm. properly um, but he's not a small guard so that like the that that's what I'm saying right that those types of lineups with him and Troy Brown and those guys just looking to do those things that's where you're simulating what Danny Green and Alex Caruso and Kuzma to an extent, you know, were, were able to do, even if those guys have some some higher all around talent uh, and ability that they that we had in the past. But 
yeah, so just wanted to underscore your point. I, I feel like JTA fits into that just like Troy Brown Jr. does. And then on the offensive end, he had one of his uh, shots. He made a, a jumper off of a baseline in bounds, uh, or baseline out of bounds play where he came on a curl and knocked down a 20 footer going to his right kind of in step. And he uh, he had that possession where he was in the dunker spot off of the LeBron and AD pick and roll. And that's really what it is like. I'm sure you might be listening to this and thinking like, oh, God, you're talking about Troy Brown and JTA. These are vet minimum type of guys. But their type of role when you've got LeBron and AD especially is to just make the correct play to enhance and capitalize on the advantage that they create. And they know that, too. They know that about their game, D, right, is that they don't need to reinvent the wheel or do anything crazy or put up big numbers. Just make the correct play and the advantage will be created by your superstars and just play off of that and uh and just that in his passing feel i think he was part of the 26 assists just the ball has good energy with him and just i think we've got this really likable team kind of percolating under the surface and i know that seems very uh that seems very distant right now but if you're watching the games like they really compete their asses off and they've got a, a, several guys that really i think are internally motivated and that's what we're going to need to kind of get through this is to keep that resolve so i i, I know you've you've liked what you've seen so far with brown uh, talk to me D. no i I think that everything that you guys have said has has been great. Like I saw him working out um, before the preseason game against the Warriors when I was at the arena and um, I just saw him taking a bunch of shots and moving off of the ball. And I just like the way the ball comes off of his hands and he looks like a player who understands how to play the game. Right. And getting into the creases the right way, finding little cracks and crevices in order to catch a little pass, like um, playing the short role a little bit, set some screens, handle the ball. He is a basketball player and the Lakers need as much of that as as they can. Um, and so if you guys will allow me a moment to close us out here, I I actually did just want to say one last piece on on Russell Westbrook, just because I do think it's important to sort of like really crystallize where my thoughts are on him right now as, as a player. Um, Pete's not wrong when he said that Darwin asked Russ to come out and play defense and work hard on that, on that end of the floor. And we've probably seen the best version of that, that we could have possibly expected. He is, he has been competing, I think for the most part defensively, mm -hmm. he had a really good stretch of getting on the backboards where there was that one possession where he had maybe a three or a four jump possession in order to tip the ball, ball around. And, and he got the Lakers and, and extra possession, um, a handful of possessions. You'll see him, sink from the paint and close all the way out and make sure that he's not giving up a wide open three he is working on that mm -hmm. side of the floor and i think it's very important to understand that that work that he's doing has value it's also important to understand that the level in which he's playing offensively is just not acceptable and it's not at a rotation level yeah. player at this point and if he is not going to be able to play offense at a level where he can't 
he can't make a defense pay for leaving him this wide open that he can't finish at the rim at a rate where he's over 40 percent of finishing in the restricted area where he can't make a defense pay for putting their center on him and not just a center that is anthony davis level center right where it's just like oh yeah well they put Giannis on you as a weak side roamer and that guy's so elite defensively that he can sag it but still recover and take away your dribble and all of this other stuff no he probably got defended by two of the slower footed big mm-hmm. men centers in the league to close out games in Ivica Zubats and in Yusuf Nurkic. These are not elite high level defensive players on the perimeter. And what all they did was sit 10 feet from the basket and just wait. And The domino effect that this is having on the Lakers, particularly in half court possessions at the end of games that are winnable and the team has not been able to then find an avenue to produce functional offensive sets within that context, that's a high hurdle to clear when you do not have a lot of other high-level shot creators outside of LeBron and AD who are both geared towards attacking the paint themselves, right? And so this is where the problem lies now. And I'm not going to single out Russell, like, oh, I hate Russell Westbrook or anything like, like that. These are basketball problems. And basketball problems require basketball solutions. And... And I think it's at the point now where the people who are in charge of making the basketball decisions for this roster and for this this team are going to need to put their heads together and figure out the best basketball solutions for a team that is now 0-3, has aspirations well beyond a team that is 0-3, and the season's just going to keep going, guys. And it's not about waiting or patience or anything else. It's about seeking the solutions that you need, need to find. And so I, I just felt the need I had to sort of like try to put my thoughts together and, and, and say it the way that I think it needs, needs to be said. And, and that's where I am with Russell Westbrook right now. And I, I'm glad you did. And I co-sign with everything you said, you said there, that's like, as somebody who's advocated for his game and that ability to get to the basket. If he's not able to do that anymore, and if you are able to put a slow-footed footed big on him and he just can't make just a wide-open shot that just has the a catastrophic domino effect on the offense that despite how good faith and how well he's playing on the defensive end, it just causes problems that lead to a, an offensive rating of 75 and a historically bad start to uh to this the season on offense and is he the only factor no but he's a, a big part of it and i agree that it's time for you know some basketball solutions to that so all right we will be back tomorrow uh hopefully you guys keep grinding what a start huh uh until then you've been listening to laker film room podcast we'll catch you guys next time james has got it in low to McHale. McHale wants to turn his double team just pass out of front broken up by worthy tip to magic worthy dies on his belly magic scores there's magic got it Magic fires, it's good, and the Lakers win the game! The Lakers win the game! Here by McLaughlin, three seconds left. Van Exel to win it. It's on the way, good! Kobe Bryant, 48 points, 16 rebounds. Jack with his eighth block shot that ties an NBA Finals.
Drucker. A lot of Laker fans okay, sticking so around for this. You're seeing something that's very rare indeed. A Laker to get MVP chance right, in, Boston. in Boston. Of all places. Are you kidding me? Kobe. Hard to believe. Are you kidding me? Unreal. Are you kidding me? Lakers looking to push. Bryant spinning in the lane. Back for Gasol. Pretty pass. And it's back to a three-point game. Kobe Bryant picked up by Bell. There's the move. Two, one, miss it! Brian! Unbelievable. It's over. Shot popping out of five. Brian! Yes! And that was a little tough to Alvin Gentry. That insult to injury, Kobe. I mean, what a shot. I mean, you can't defend that. Are you kidding me? 2.1 seconds remaining. Denver a foul to give. Jokic. Trying to disrupt Rondo, he puts it in. Here's Davis, 4-3 in the win. Oh, it's good! Anthony Davis has won it for the Lakers! James again. Oh, he hits another one. LeBron James putting together a closing quarter against the Nuggets. This historic 2020 NBA championship belongs to the Los Angeles Lakers. The Lakers conquer the bubble, and banner number 17 will soon hang in the rafters.